you know, when it's darkest is when it's the greatest opportunity. Like when, when it seems to be nothing, because that's when you've been, you've been hiking through the desert for two years. You've got absolutely nothing, but you don't realize it. And with News Whip in the start, you know, we were able to make it happen so much faster. I mean, within two months, I think, of News Whip starting, we were further than Easy Deals had ever gotten in the fact that we'd had investment and we had, you know, media coverage. And yeah, it just, it, it, it really can click into gear then. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. This is the first of a three-part mini-series with Andrew Mullaney, former CTO and co-founder of Newswhip, a service that tracks how billions of people engage with stories. After meeting at Futurescope, we made our way over to Newswhip's HQ here in Dublin. And not long after we spoke, actually, Andrew left and went backpacking around the world to plot a new startup involving the application of AI to the world of financial services. This episode includes reflections on whether working for a large consultancy helps one as an entrepreneur, why Andrew gave away a startup, and we'll talk about Newswhip, of course, as well. Hey, Andrew, great to have you here in 40 Minutes of SaaS. I'm delighted to be here, thank you, Stephen. Brilliant. Uh, give us a brief account of your life story up until the founding of this amazing company that we're in here now, Newswhip. Certainly, yeah. Um, so God, yeah, when I was younger, I had quite an international youth. Uh, we, we, we lived in many countries like America and Saudi Arabia. Uh, and then I came back in secondary school here to um, boarding school in, in Blackrock College, where I was for six years. And then after that, I did a degree in electronic engineering. Um, nice, nice, difficult degree, but definitely worth it. Uh, followed by a master's in management science. And then I went to get my first job, which I got in Accenture. Uh, I stayed there for 18 months. I had the bug all along to go out and do something. Um, and then they were, it was actually coming into the big recession. And so they were, they were doing some bond redundancies. I took the opportunity and uh, set up uh, a startup called uh, Easy Deals, which was a locations-based uh, deals platform that didn't succeed. And then moved on to Newswhip afterwards. So, um you mentioned that you, you, you were uh, in a consultancy, Accenture, of course, one of the biggest in the world. Um, I was just thinking the Samware Brothers uh, built the incredible Rocket Berlin, a very successful startup factory, and they have a formula for building companies where they pull people from Deloitte, McKinsey, Accenture, and put them into a hothouse startup. Um, do you feel that consultancy background that you had stood you, stood you well for the, the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial career? Um, in one way, yes, and in one way, no. Um, so I, th I still think uh, somebody who's been in consultancy, which is a very structured uh, career, you must remember, and some people gravitate towards that. I do think that um, if they're able to convert themselves and be okay with the complete mania, I mean, not even unstructured, but mania that is setting up a business, then they can survive very well. And I, I know some people who have left Accenture uh, and, and followed a similar path to me and, and have been extremely successful. Um, um, but so it's, not, it's not for everybody. And you know, <clears throat> some people do pick large companies to work for, for the predictability, for the career structure, for the career ladder. 
and 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 if that's if that's why you're in an organization like that then startup's not the place for you in my case it was all of those things that frustrated me about working in a big company and that's what excited me about going so um i do but the the the, the training and the learning that you get from business and particularly in consultancy because you can go to different businesses and you generally being brought into problems within businesses so you can see you know um you can see where there's problems to be solved and how to solve them yeah and uh going back to that start of the first startup that you had which was the precursor of easydeals.ie mm. um is, is that business too how was that experience for you uh, quite funny actually yeah i mean i think i actually gave it away to a guy when i met him at a meeting no way. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was actually the site did quite well there was quite a lot of traffic um i think we were getting like four hundred thousand uniques a month which for an irish wow. site was pretty strong uh very hard to make money out of it and um it was just a different world back then from the point of view of startups in ireland there was no support structures really we were just navigating blind i mean it was the only way to describe it <laughs> But God, I learned everything. I mean, I learned everything and it was tough. Um, so no, it's not going anymore. I, I met a guy at, at a Google meetup actually, and he was in the deal space. And I said, God, you poor thing. And uh, he goes, oh, but you had a great site. And I said, here, you can have it if you want. <laughs> so I gave it to him. I'm not sure if it was a lead balloon or a help, but yeah, I think he, he diverted the traffic onto his site and hopefully it, uh, it, it gave him a boost. <laughs> <laughs> now you say, you, say you, 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 you learned everything and it's, it's interesting to hear that. Uh, I recently interviewed a guy called uh, uh, Colton Andrus, who's the, uh, he's the founder of Gremlin. They basically break systems and fix them for big companies, but uh, make them stronger. Um, but he talks about having done the operations, the HR, the sales, the customer success, the, you know, how, how widely did you spread yourself? Oh yeah, it was small. I think in, in Easy Deals we had maybe three people, I think maybe four people at one point. It was a small company. Um, I always say to founders, everyone's okay with failure until you go through it, <laughs> you know, and I was okay with it, but it was a lot harder to actually go through it. Um, you know, as, as I say, you know, you spend three years of your life really trying to build something and then you go, it's time to shut down this thing. It's just not working. And actually, if I learned anything, it's probably that, you know, you need to keep your standards high, uh, apropos like what you're going to continue investing your time into. Yeah. It's very easy to become emotionally connected to, to, to all the work and, uh, and, and keep on trying to fight the fight. But uh, when you, when you, when you step away from a business that isn't working and, and, and you kind of get this massive liberation and you, you get to uh, download all the information, you've got a much better network uh, and opportunities present and, and, and that's really, as I say, you know, to, to, to friends that I've advised, and, you know, when it's darkest is when it's the greatest opportunity, like when, when it seems to be nothing, because that's when you've been, you've been hiking through the desert for two years, you've got absolutely nothing, but you don't realize that you've built up way more than when you left Accenture, say, for example, where you had yeah. nothing, because everything was under the guise of your professional uh, career, whereas when you're two years out in the jungle, you actually started to learn and meet people and you know things and you can make things happen. And, and with News Whip in the start, you know, we were able to make it happen so much faster. I mean, within two months, I think, of News Whip starting, we were further than easy deals had ever gotten in the fact that we'd had investment and we had, you know, media coverage and yeah, it just, it, it really can click into gear then. Cool. And today, News Whip is a social discovery and content analytics, more recently content analytics platform that tracks, predicts engagement in the world's news and social feeds. But 
how did you work that out from, from the start, how to create something like that and how to understand who might pay for that and make it yeah. I mean, it's kind of, again, a bit like with the, the previous one, you know, you never know what's going to succeed. And in, in, in Newswhip, I, I, I've been involved in two distinct startups, uh, but the amount of pivots and mini pivots and product launches that I've been involved in are just numerous because you, you, there's only one way. It's experimentation, measure, reiterate. And, and, and from the personal perspective, you, you need to be totally okay with that failure, mini failures, large failures, because that's actually where you gain the learning. So we started out as a consumer play. We were a website initially, um, and then we wanted to be an app where people would read news. And we had a reasonable amount of success doing that. It was kind of looked a bit like easy deals from the point of view of traffic numbers and growth. <laughs> and it was kind of like, okay, this is great, but it was obviously global. So that, that was the main thing I was looking for in the second startup. Um, but you know, making money off something like that is just tremendously difficult. Um, and our strategy was always to, to enable the journalists to put to push our, our website, that's what we thought they would do, uh, and it kind of worked. Like um, they used it, they just didn't tell anyone else they used it. <laughs> <laughs> so we couldn't get we couldn't get it into the viral loop, as we said. But we had yeah. quite a lot of nice press coverage. I remember we got some BBC very early, the first BBC coverage from a technology show uh, from from a generous journalist, and she was a big fan. And but then we just realized, wait, these could be our customers. And uh, rather than trying to get hundreds of millions of, view, of, of impressions every day, let's just get you know a couple hundred customers, you yeah, know, yeah, just yeah. like a normal business, and, <laughs> and uh, let's charge them. And then uh, we pivoted. I think after about two years, maybe, um, and a pivot. I mean, it take about a year. So you know, we were juggling both for a while, and um, fortunately, you know, the, the the journalists really liked the product, and and that's where we started out, and we. We still continue to to um, you know alter our offering for different for different markets you know and that's 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 what you always have to do. And is uh, would media companies like News Corp and BBC and BuzzFeed still be the bigger part of your business, or are the Reeboks and the Mastercards now just as big? Or what's the bigger market for you? Um, I mean, by volume, the the bigger market is media still, and that's but that's probably more because of the history side. The growth side is bigger on the on on the the brands and the PR side. Um, and you know their budgets are, are, are bigger and it's a slightly different use case so we do have to tailor the product news is much faster and it's you know much more high volume whereas the PR and agencies want a, a bit more of a step back so that's where the analytical viewpoint or um, kind of strategic viewpoint so some product differentiations there but you know with very strong customers with the likes of Edelman and Reebok as you mentioned there absolutely yeah. um, what's your vision for Newswhip over the next three to five years so, I mean, we're a content intelligence platform. We want to understand why people engage with content. Um, that's moved from a kind of a, that's, that's moved from a, 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 what used to be a bit of a madman exercise probably. Now it's, it's at the end of the day, it's billions of people engaging with, with, with content across the world. And, uh, you know, so it's a very rapidly um, moving environment. From my perspective, it makes it interesting because it's a technology game. Um, so yeah, the vision is, is, is to really describe what is, what is the, the science of content, what's behind it, what drives people to share it um, and, and, and provide that to our customers so that we can you know, shape better stories and empower the storytellers. Cool. Um, Mark Little has co-founded uh, Neverlabs with Onya Care and their mission is to empower individuals who want to take control of their news experience and to build in some trust metric, metrics associated with the sources of the media. What do you think of that project? Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, 
so there's, there's a problem like which is a filter bubbles right you know and we all um, we all have them there's this positive kind of reinforcement biases um, and they were there before social networks you know it's, oh, yeah. this isn't this isn't it's become incredibly apparent with social networks it's, it's measurable but it's also kind of somewhat algorithmically reinforced not 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 by any intention of anyone just because people gravitate to people who they're similar to them um, so you know, we all. I hope we all want to be conscientious news-reading citizens. Um, and maybe not everybody, but certainly a fair percentage of people are. And it, it's getting harder to actually find trustworthy content sources. And uh, I think um, uh, you know, if we, if we can build products and technology that can you know somewhat pre-qualify pre-qualify the people involved in news, pre-qualify the people. Um, sharing it or involved in creating ecosystems of high quality content uh, i really think there's a huge opportunity there and can you see on the consumer end can you see people starting to pay for that if that can be done well that's a tough question you know and I'd, i've talked to mark about that and the only way you'll answer it is by trying it and um and i'm sure they'll try it um the it depends you know um a lot of customers are starting to pay for news now that the people realize that you, you don't get free, quite high quality stuff for free, so you gotta pay for stuff. And then there's the problem that you can only subscribe to one or two because you might only be able to afford it. So I don't think, I don't think everybody's gonna pay for news. I would still think it would be the minority, but I still think a huge amount of people will pay for it and that make, can make for a very interesting business. In the next episode, Andrew talks about why his dear old Dublin is a great place to start a business, lets us into a secret, the one question he will always ask an interviewee, and talks about that old chestnut about whether or not we should become comfortable with failure. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thank you to Ketsu for music provided under a Creative Commons license. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating. Mm -hmm.